Well, let's pray, and today I have a message on pressure, and I think nobody felt that pressure more than Jesus as he sweated blood right before the time of the cross, as he marched into that final week, that passion week, where he was going to die for the sin of the world, but what it translates to us as his followers, his children, to not let pressure affect us. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your your mercy, your grace, and all that we have. We thank you, Lord, that now we can open up your word and hear directly, whether we're watching behind a screen or we're right here in a chair. God, we want to hear directly from heaven here this morning. We love you and we praise you so much. And as we, as we open up the scriptures, may you speak to us, move within us. May your presence be felt in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I hate my ears. And not, not, not the way they look on the outside. I think they're cute enough, right? But I'm talking about the inside of my ears, and the reason I can't stand my ears is from the time I was five all the way to the time I was 15, I had five major reconstructive surgeries in my ear. As a young boy, I got this condition that typically old men are supposed to get, not young guys, and this growth that happened in my ears fractured the hearing bones to connect the eardrum to the brain. So I lost hearing on this side, I was losing hearing on this side at five years old, and So what they did is they removed the bones, they put a plastic insert in there, they took muscle from the side of my head and reconstructed my eardrums. So a lot of nasty stuff to talk about as we open up the Word of God, I know, but I'm getting somewhere with it. And over the years, all the scar tissue and the relentless surgeries has made it almost impossible for my ears to pop. You know, and so whenever I go on an airplane or I'm driving and I'm going over 4,000 feet elevation, my ears don't pop. Very rarely do they. And so the pressure just builds and builds and builds and builds. And I'm telling you, it feels like I'm being stabbed on the side of the head. It's so excruciating. I can't stand it. And so recently, I have been wondering at why this ear has pain, but this ear doesn't. And as I saw my ENT doctor, he said, well, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you actually are developing a hole in that eardrum. I said, am I going to lose my hearing or something? He's like, no, it's not really a big deal. It's just a result of all the surgeries. I said, okay, so I can live with it. And I realized that because of that little hole, it's allowed the pressure to balance out. So I have no pain. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and so I'm still praying for the right ear. But it's amazing that somehow through all that junk, through all that issues of surgeries, this little tiny hole has provided a release of all that pressure. And today as I talk about pressure, I want to really drive home the point that we're always going to experience trials and tribulations and pressure of all kind. But as a Christian, we have the hope of the world. We have his glory. We have the opportunity to have something in place that when the trials come, when the pressure comes, we're ready, we're prepared, and we can walk in peace because of all we have in God. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says that we are afflicted but not crushed, that we are perplexed but not despairing, that we are persecuted but not forsaken, and it goes on. We're going to experience the same things that everybody else experienced in life, but we have the hope of the world. And there's daily pressures, whether that's pressure at your job and deadlines you have to meet or grades that you have to make or you're in some type of a sport or you're at work and you've got issues that you're dealing with with different people. We all are going to experience some type of pressure. Now, personally for myself, I love pressure. Just enough, not too much. I thrive in stress. It's so funny, even 
in my Foursquare licensing interview, they have my resume and all the stuff I've done. Every church I've been at, they drilled me for two and a half hours with all these questions. And at the end of it, one of the interviewer, he said, um, it looks like you really enjoy stress. I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, well, you definitely thrive in it. And at all the different things we have walked through, something about stress, it just fuels me. I love that, that feeling of accomplishment, and it didn't take us out. And look what God did, and he could do it again. But it's also part of my nature. I can't sit still to save my life. Football is the only thing that will keep me in a sofa longer than a half an hour. I just, ADHD brain, I can't sit still. I get bored so easily. I talk fast. I walk fast. I can't tell you how many times I left my wife in the dust somewhere in the mall or we're just going and I realize she's 20 feet behind me. I've, I've, I've gotten better. I've gotten better though. I had to get to a point where I was walking without using my knees. And I just used just so that I could stay at the pace of my wife because I can get in, get it done, get out, move on to the next thing. So I thrive in pressure, but only a little bit. A little bit of pressure is okay. Too much pressure or when we face pressure without leaning on the Lord can lead to some serious things. You know, can lead us to burnout. Burnout in its definition is where the expectations that are on you surpass the resources that are available to you. Little pressure is okay. Little pressure keeps us on our toes, but too much can lead us into a place of even quitting. And I have a friend who started a ministry, and this ministry is called the Small Church Guys. These men who've had uh, experience in mega churches and have been all around the world they created a little nonprofit here in the DFW area to help small churches. Where is there a weakness? Where can our team come in and create something for you and come alongside of you? And as I talked to him about this ministry as he was launching it, he said, Rudy, I am so shocked at the sheer number of pastors who are giving up. I've never seen so many pastors and so many of my own friends who are ministers quit under the pressure and the weight of what's happening in our world and with COVID and, and just personal issues that are going unresolved. And we all know that there's people who let the pressure get way too far and end up taking their own lives because they had no way to take care of this pressure that was relentless and having this life of misery. But there is good news. And the good news is that God has an answer for the pressures of life. And I'm so grateful for the grace of God that makes it to where it's not up to us, but it's all the finished work that we are celebrating next Sunday. The finished work of the cross, he accomplished it. And if we can lean on him and not lean on our own understanding, we will find the breakthrough. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to teach this morning from a very well-known portion of scripture, but an incredible prophet of the Lord who was almost taken out due to one little fear, one little threat. As always, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It'll be on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. And if you have a digital form of a Bible, you can uh, go to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 in the New American Standard. Beginning in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. We know that in previous chapters, he uh, took out hundreds of false prophets and and, and declared this boxing match with a false god, and the Lord showed up and burned up all the stuff, and it was a great victory. So now all of this queen's false god and prophets are ridiculed and killed, and so she's upset. And how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. 
Jezebel sent a messenger. There's always going to be demonic messengers who want to get in your brain. Whether that's people or that's actual demons, they want to speak lies to your heart to bring fear, which brings distraction. So he sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And he was afraid, which makes no sense to me. You just killed hundreds of false prophets. You stood there with the boldness that said, you call down fire from heaven because I know my God will physically right in front of you. Yet he gets one threat and all of a sudden he is walking in fear. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. A lot of times pressure will cause you to seclude yourself and to isolate yourself. And that's a horrible place to be when you're in pain, to self-isolate away from community, away from advice, away from prayer. And so he got away by himself a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree. And the Bible says this tree twice in this passage. And I'm like, what, what's so great about a juniper tree? Well, first off, it's not a tree. It's actually a shrub. And it's a desert shrub so that, you know, at nighttime, people encamp next to it because it blocks the wind and the cold. And during the daytime, it's so thick that it provides relief from the heat with shade. But in, in that culture, in that time, in that day, the berries from this tree were actually used for purification. So if we look at this prophetically or symbolically, he's in pain, under pressure. He lays in a place of rest under a tree that's going to help to become pure. Pure doesn't mean you're just not sinning. Pure means one element. When you melt gold, the impurities come up. You take all the impurities away, and it's 100% gold. Pure water, pure gold, pure evil. Purity is just one element. And so he's under this tree, and I think prophetically he's under pressure, and now he's resting and getting his mind and his heart purified in the Lord. And he requested for himself that he may die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. I'm like, man, this once warrior is now this whiner and, and just wanted it all to be over, wanting to quit. And in the Hebrew, where it says, I'm not better than my father's, You're thinking, why does that matter if you want your life to be over with? Well, in the Hebrew, this literally translates to, I'm just not good enough. And so I don't know if Elijah was actually afraid of this woman or if he was, I'm so done. I'm, I'm so done fighting. I'm so done being tired. I'm tired of being tired. I can't do one more battle. I'm not even good enough. And so he's got just this wrong thing that that got stuck into his heart. He says, I'm not better than my father's. But in verse 5, he lay down and slept under the juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him and said, arise and eat. Then he looked and behold, there was by his head a bread cake baked on hot stone and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Um, I look at everything symbolically. I'll look at my Bible in the Greek and in the Hebrew. I'll look at commentaries, but I always look at pictures and symbols. And so here we have bread, we have stones, and we have water. Bread typically is a symbol of the presence of God and that he's daily with us. Uh, Stones, we look at Jesus, the cornerstone, the rock in which we stand, and water in the Bible very often is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So we're seeing God in every aspect of, of the Holy Trinity ministering to him as he rested as he ate, 
And this is the oldest joke in the book, and I say it all the time, but naps and snacks are very biblical, everybody. So we got to get with the program. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. God will call you to something that is greater than your ability, but when you lean on him, he'll make it possible. And finally in verse 8, so he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And so he's freaking out. He's under pressure. He wants to die. He wants to throw in the towel. He's so sick of fighting, but he finally rests in the presence of God. And the angels minister to him. He receives a word from God. And from what he received from the Lord, what he was able to receive from the Lord, he went on that strength for 40 days and 40 nights. So for us, as we're dealing with pressure, I beg to ask you, what is it that you're, you're walking on? What, what is it that you're, you're working from? Are you dry in the Lord? Are you empty in the spirit? Or when you face trials of many kinds, do you have something that has been built up in you, something that's been fortified, a confidence, a bravery, almost like you're, you're boasting about who God is in the face of what you're coming against? If somebody like Elijah could fall apart, <laughs> we could fall apart. And I want to encourage us this morning on some things we can do today that are going to help us to build a strong heart and to not fall and crumble underneath the pressure. So if you're taking notes, the first thing, and what I've seen in Elijah, first thing, is that we need a pressure in you greater than pressure around you. Need a pressure in you greater than the pressure around you. There's always going to be pressure, but we need a greater pressure, a holy pressure that is within us. So this past week, I nerded out a little bit in my study. Uh, I, I veered off the biblical study and got into some scientific type study and I, I was thinking, because when I'm talking about pressure, I automatically started thinking about the pressure in the deep sea. And so much of our, our oceans are unexplored, and there's actual living things down in those types of pressure. And so I, I started looking at humans who have gone down to some of the greatest depths, and I found that they have recently made uh, this incredible submersible, uh, like a mini submarine. I actually have a picture uh, of it for you. It's called the Triton 36,000. <laughs> and uh, this machine, it's a cutaway. So on the left side, this is what it looks like on the outside. On the right side, it looks like on the inside. And you can see a little tiny seat there on the bottom center. It's a two-man vessel. So people can actually go into this thing. And that little ball-shaped looking thing is the pressure hull. That thing is three and a half inches thick. Okay, that, and that's to basically keep human beings from not exploding underneath the water and the pressure that is there. This thing is almost 100% a perfect sphere, and it's super thick in there. This vessel weighs 27,000 pounds, and it can go down to the depth of a mile and a half underneath the surface of the ocean. It takes three hours because of the pressure to get down to that depth. Now, most uh, submersibles like this, they can only go down one time, before that machine needs to get retired. But this thing is so technologically advanced that it can go down a whole bunch of times, over and over and over again. So this machine is incredible. It keeps people alive to be able to explore down to the deepest depths of the ocean. I mean, they found plastic at the bottom of our oceans. That's how much uh, the pollution of this world is affecting. They found sea life that had never yet been discovered. They're finding wreckages there that they've never seen before. It's incredible. But as I look at this, I'm thinking, that's awesome for human beings. 
But as those guys are down a mile and a half, they're looking around. There's animals out there. How do those animals not blow up? Now, we know the weird ones, you know, that are see-through and have these, like, neon lights that attract weird cellular and whatevers, you know. We know that they live down there, but there's actually one animal that can go all the way out of the water and all the way down to the same depth of this machine. I had another picture here, a depth chart of what's called the Cuvier-beaked whale. And the Cuvier-beaked whale is an actual small little whale that can hold its breath. The record of holding its breath was four hours. And it went down 1.8 miles, even further than the machine was able to go, 9,816 feet. Yeah, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Empire State buildings down. And it can go from the surface and in a matter of four hours go all the way down and all the way back up and not blow up. I'm like, how in the world is that even possible? There's a couple things that are possible that make this possible. First is that the whale has lungs that he can collapse. And then because of the higher levels of the hemoglobin, myoglobin, he stores oxygen inside of the muscles in the blood all over so that the oxygen lasts that long. He can slow down his heart rate and even stop the flow of blood from certain parts of the body as it goes down. Like, isn't God incredible? Is it, how, this, this doesn't happen through evolution. This, this happens through intelligent design. And so it, it encourages me, but the reason I give this non-biblical example is to illustrate the need that Christians have to have a, a, a design inside that can withstand the pressure. And we need a greater pressure, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of Jesus Christ, a greater pressure on the inside that's on the outside. 1 John 4.4 says that we are from God, little children. We have overcome them because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And that's not a dualism. That's not the devil's power versus God's power. And let's see who wins. <laughs> it's not a cage fight. The devil has been defeated. His, he lost his power. It's the power of influence. So greater is the realization of Jesus. Greater is his physical presence. Greater is, his, is the spirit that moves within us than any of the influence, any of the pressure that is around us. We got to have that type of confidence. I remember two weeks ago on our Wednesday night study, we were walking through uh, Mark chapter 5, the story of the man possessed by over uh, 2,000 demons. And I thought it was so powerful of an image to see Jesus stepping off the boat and the moment his feet touched the ground, 2,000 demons bow down before him in worship. And they say, don't torment us. I've seen, I've seen a friend minister to a demon-possessed person, and he said, I love you in the name of Jesus to this person. Gave them a hug, and that person started shrieking of a noise that is not man-made. I'm like, huh, these demons are so tough, they can't handle a little hug, right? Because <laughs> it's love is that powerful. And these demons are saying, don't torment me, Jesus, because this love that was so pure, this love that was so strong. And then Jesus permitted them to go to the pigs, and farmers lost a whole lot of money that day. And we have to walk around with that same type of confidence. I, I joked uh, two, two Wednesdays ago and said, you know, at Halloween time, if there was an actual haunted house and somebody was trying to make some business off of that, and I accidentally walked into that haunted house, I just ruined that person's business. Because me, being a very physical temple of the Holy Spirit, just brought in the manifest presence of God, and light always wins against the darkness. So you buy a house, somebody has died in this house before, we just need you to know that. You may want to get a priest or purify this house. I'm like, I'm carrying the presence of God. 
Nothing can stand in this home when I am the priest of my home, when I am carrying the Holy Spirit. I am a carrier of the presence of God. Anything that is of evil needs to go. But if we don't know how to have an internal structure that can handle the pressure and we buy into the influence, that's where we start to see the trouble. So we need to encourage ourselves to understand that build a pressure on the inside of you in God's presence that's greater than the pressure around you, but understand that it's not up to your work. It's up to the finished work and what he has done for you. So in the time of building history with God, in the moments where you want to become strong in the faith, don't do it on your own intellect. Do it in the spirit. Do it with him in his presence. Work with the spirit as you grow in strength in the faith. A pressure in you that is greater than the pressure around you. Number two, we need to raise your praise when the pressure mounts. Raise the praise. Sound like about to break out in a B12 organ and start a whole gospel song. I might just do that. I don't know. But let me read to you real quickly. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're going to go through pressures. If we bow down to the influence of the enemy, we may lose a victory. But in our trials and tribulations, if we stand strong and look to the Lord, it's only going to make our faith stronger. It's going to be the test of our faith if we can endure. I was so encouraged by a story I heard of a Hope College uh, women's team, and they were in the national playoffs for the first time. It was kind of the underdog story. And they were down by 20 points with 10 minutes left of the game. Somehow, miraculously, they caught up. And at the buzzer with the three-point shot, they tied the game. But see, what was incredible is at that shot, the person who was shooting got fouled. Her name was Dina Disney. That's an interesting name. So now she has two shots to take with no time left. She's standing there, nationally televised, thousands of people in attendance. If I make this, we win. If I miss these, we lose. We have to go into overtime, and who knows what the outcome is. I can't imagine that type of pressure. So she goes for the free throws, sinks them, wins the game. Now the uh, reporters come on over and they have to interview her and, and say, how was that? How could you keep your composure? And this is what she declared on national television. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I said, I don't know how she worked that into her heart, that under that type of pressure, she can say, for your glory, God. It's not what I can do, but it's everything that is in you. And praise, praise boast of the Lord. Praise is what allows us to keep our focus on God. It's what constantly reminds us of who we are in God and what he has given to us and how strong of a God it is that we serve. In the Hebrew, the word for praise is halel. Or if you really want to be a Hebrew, you can say halel, you know. Halel, which means to shine, to make its boast. And in Psalm 146, the, the psalmist is crying out, praise the Lord, oh, praise the Lord, oh, praise the Lord, my soul. David says in, in the Psalms, he, he says, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. He's commanding his soul to praise the Lord. Because, you know, our spirit, man, we're made of spirit, soul, and body, right? Our flesh is our flesh, our soul is our mind, will, emotions, and our spirit, man, is the born-again, Holy Spirit-filled man of God, woman of God. So our spirit man needs to tell our soul to get in line. 
And so that's what, praise the Lord, we got to get to a place where even if we don't feel like it, even if we're scared, even if we're under pressure, we're going to praise the Lord. Body, soul, spirit, y'all better get on board because this is what we're doing today. Like it or not, we're praising the Lord. And I've, in my own time, I've, I've discovered personally that when I'm under pressure, when I have anxiety that hits out of nowhere, when I have a big decision to make and I'm stressing out about it and I know I shouldn't, but I am, I do one of two things and they both relate to praise. The first thing is that I want to silence influences and noise. So I stick my earbuds in. I put on either um, sermons that have moved me in the past. I have a library of them. Or I put on worship music, and I just continue to focus on that over and over and over until the pressure subsides, and I can think clearly again and begin to pray correctly. That's one thing I do. The other thing I do is I force myself to declare. I force myself to declare. I'll, I'll take a moment when I'm freaking out. I'm like, no. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in control. Thank you, God, that you have given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Thank you that I am a child under the grace of God and your mercy. It's not under law. It's not under my works. Thank you that you have empowered me with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Thank you that I am an ambassador of Christ. You have given me authority from heaven over every evil thing that is in this world. And I'll just keep going and going and going and going until my brain gets in alignment with my heart and with truth that I have a greater pressure in me than the pressure that is around me. One of the uh, preachers I really love to listen to, uh, he says that in his time of distress, he will open up the word of God and turn to the Psalms, and he will read and read until he can hear his own voice in the Psalms. Jack Hayford, who many of us have known and, and loved, he says, when you open your Bible, read it, and don't stop reading until he warms your heart. And that's just a beautiful expression of what we are called to do every day, not to pour over and give mental time and space to the problems, but to purposely go before his presence and that our heart comes into alignment with this will and with this love over our lives. So in the times of pressure, we need to raise our praise. Finally, point number three, don't lose your perspective in the pressure. Don't lose your perspective in the pressure. This past week, I uh, saw this video that uh, was sent over to me, and it's a, a lady who is in the kitchen, and she's unwrapping one of those pressurized biscuit cans. How many people are afraid of those things popping, right? It's like a jack-in-a-box is like, <laughs> every time it blows up. So she's unwrapping this thing, and she's getting to the very last thing when it's about to pop, and her husband's over there watching, and he goes, pop! <laughs> she goes, ah! And then as she screams, then the thing pops, and she goes, ah! So she screams twice, and <laughs> she's just freaking out over this thing. But see, what happened is the husband saw an opportunity. He said, she's so focused in fear over this thing popping, which hasn't even popped yet, I'm going to get her. And oh, isn't that like the devil? Let me just get you pre-concerned and preoccupied with all these little worries. God's over here trying to get your attention. God's over here trying to speak to you. God's a gentleman, though, and he won't force something on you. And so we're over here preoccupied, afraid, and we live in fear, and we're not supposed to. Now, let me read to you real quick. This is not in your notes. This is not in your um, bulletins or anything, but it's something that is very famous, but I go to it over and over and over again, and I really really take the time when I read this scripture to slow down, which is hard for me to do, to slow down, to make my heart sensitive, to be ready for what he wants to do in me. And I just 
almost pray this over my life. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Help my perspective, God. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the the eagle. And this can go on and on and on again. But it's this perspective, God, this is what you have done. God, this is what you declare over me. You are the God who has forgiven my sin. You are the God who can heal anything. You are the God who can deliver me. You are the God who can bless me with all that I need. And it's so interesting how we forget that so often. So I have this cheesy line, this really cheesy line. Forgive me for the cheesiness. But in our moments of misery, let us go to our history. In our times of misery, go to the history. So when you're facing something, you need to tell yourself again, he's got me through worse. I faced this before. And even if this is something I've never encountered before, he's got answers from heaven if I just lean on him. We need to build our own history with God. I can't give that to you. You can't buy that. You can't inherit that or be imparted upon a history with God. That is you on your face going through the pressures of life to develop a history with him of how he has come through for you over and over again. But I'm telling you, of of all the things I read and all the songs I hear in Christian worship today, nothing moves me than the songs that boast about how big God is. There's one particular song, uh, and my family can't stand it when I find a song I really like, because I'll listen to it over and over and over and over and over and over and over, because until it stops ministering to my heart, I'm going to keep listening to that thing. And one of them was this song called Promises by Maverick City. And it's just this song that just declares he will come through. Don't fall under the pressure of life. It says, history will prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come, though the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. I just love this. History can prove that there's nothing you can't do. Just declaring, great is thy faithfulness. I mean, that's an old hymn, but you you sing that song, it does something to your soul. When you get your focus off yourself, your focus off the pressure, and back onto the face of God where it belongs, something comes alive inside of us. Another definition of that Hebrew word for praise is to make clear. Strong's actually defines it. When you praise, things become clear. So we can't lose our perspective under the pressure. We need to go higher in our perspective through God's eyes, through praise. And I believe that God wants to build an army of people who are not afraid of the chaos, not afraid of the trials, but are willing to go into the scary places with God to see him move and have a victory. My mom has always been an inspiration to me. Uh, She's like me, talks too fast, walks too fast. I wonder where I get it from. Um, And and she loves stressful moments. She was a volunteer firefighter. She was a CSO officer for the Orange County Sheriff for 20 years. Um, She was an EMT. Uh, She just, she'll pull over the side of the road and rescue everybody. And I've told you stories of cars that were flipped upside down and big, strong men who were too afraid to go rescue this old lady because gas is pouring and my mom in her little sunflower dress is kicking them out of the way and pulling the lady out, you know. And it seems like every other week, my mom growing up would would, uh, come home with a different story. And there's one I'll never forget. I was probably eight years old at the time, real little. And I'm at the dinner table. My mom comes home. She's really late, you know, and my family and I were eating. I'm like, where, where were you at? She goes, oh, I just helped somebody on the side of the road. I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, it was a motorcycle rider. 
He was driving too fast, lost control. Sorry if this is squeamish. The handlebar went through his neck. So my mom sees this happen. She pulls over to the side of the road. She runs out there. She already has a trauma kit on her, and she goes to work, and she's holding this guy's neck. The paramedics come. They look at everything my mom just did, and she's like, stay there. Don't do any. You're doing the the right thing. We got to go get this, that, and the other. They load this guy up into the ambulance. My mom is still there, rides with the guy to the hospital, and basically after they can get the equipment they need to save this man's life, the paramedics thanked my mom and said, if you were not there, this man would have died. If you looked at this man with a, with a hole in his neck and were too afraid under the pressure to do anything, this man would have died. Thank God you were there. Thank God you knew what to do. I mean, that's, that's saving a physical life. We have souls that are on their way to hell if Christians, sons and daughters of God, cannot build within them a resiliency to say, I will not bow down or buckle to the pressures of this world. But when the opportunity arises, when the problems come up, I can carry in the very answer that is Jesus Christ and bring a victory into this solution. We can't be prideful. We can't be afraid. We can't bow down. We can't be lazy. We, we can't turn away because it's inconvenient or it burdens us or it's big and it's scary. We have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in us. The church needs to weep again. The church needs to open its heart, its mouth, and its lending hand in service to help a dying world that is going to walk their way right into the, to the realm of hell Because we were too afraid. We were too lazy. The pressure was too big. We were so inconvenienced. We have so many complaints. Heard one preacher say that complaining only proves how well you can hear the devil's voice. Overpraised. The church needs to weep again. And I think the more we learn how to walk in his presence and get get rid of the fear of the pressure, learn how to navigate in the pressure, even like it a little bit, we could see some amazing things happen in our world. So, Father, we thank you that this week, every year, we're reminded of why we get to do what we get to do. We are reminded why, for all eternity, we are going to spend it in the presence of loved ones and in your presence. We thank you this week that you so loved us, that you saw our disparity, you saw our need, you saw our sin, and you sent which was most precious to you to take our place, to set us free and to make it right for all eternity. Thank you for your precious gift. And as we are reminded again today that even Jesus felt the pressure, sweat blood, cried if there was any other way, but so obedient to your will, Father, because he knew that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Thank you for the example that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the strength we have in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the grace that is upon our lives because of your love and your favor. As we go about this this week, God, we know that there are so many people this week that will be more attuned to the message of Jesus Christ than any other week in all the year. May you bless us with opportunities to witness to the lost. May you give us opportunities to serve our neighbors. May you give us opportunities to just share all the good things God has done for us to somebody who desperately needs to hear it. In the name of Jesus, I declare a supernatural faith. I declare supernatural courage, the gifting of the Holy Spirit to move and to do great things in you this week. May you bless us. May you heal us. May you go before us this week. We love you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
And amen. God bless you, family. Happy Passion Week. We'll see you at Easter.